Welcome to Civil Conversations, Episode 5, Generations. I was born before the end of Jim Crow. I sat down with Mrs. Roots and Steve Weiss. Uh, Mrs. Roots is 86 years old and Steve Weiss is 68 years old. Steve is from New York City, born and raised. And Mrs. Roots is uh, born in West Virginia and raised in Virginia. And you're talking about... 154 years of history between the two of them. And this was probably one of the most intriguing conversations that I had. And I hope you guys can um, enjoy this as we listen in. Um, This is part one, and then you can move on to part two when you're ready. Please enjoy. All right, everyone on Facebook land. So hope everyone is doing well. Today is a special civil conversations. Um, I am pretty excited about it. I'm gonna give a couple people some more time to get on. Um, but what has me excited about this is that we are able to glean some experiences from uh, two amazing people, uh, Mrs. Roots and Steve Weiss. Um, part of the reason why I wanted to do uh, this type of uh, civil, civil conversations is because when it comes to uh, the things that are going on in modern day, when it comes to social justice, racial differences, um, equality, uh, biases, et cetera, um, I think we, we unintentionally dismiss uh, history uh, and, 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 and try to solve it with like, why aren't we just doing something about it right now? But I think it's important to note that there are people who are alive today uh, who experienced uh, some of the pains and, and, and struggles of yesterday um, and definitely experienced a lot of the victories as well. Uh, and that's something I'm sure we're going to cover tonight. Um, this one's going to be just a tad bit different and maybe a little bit longer. Uh, there's, uh, like I said, there's 154 years of experience. I think I mentioned that in my earlier post uh, between these two. Uh, and we want to give time for, to, for that wisdom to come out uh, in this conversation. So uh, for those who are joining online, please feel free to make uh, civil comments uh, and state what you would like to, I mean, sorry, type what you'd like to ask, any questions, or just join in. Uh, I'm sure the stories tonight are going to be quite amazing. So I'm checking over here. Now I'm doing the iPad thing now, guys, so I don't look down at my phone and read comments, so that makes it a lot easier just to see how we are with viewership. So it looks like viewership's going up. And so I want to take a minute out first to uh, start with introductions. So uh, Mrs. Roots, uh, do you mind giving us a small introduction of who you are, please? Well, I am, two days ago, I was 86 years old. I was born in a small town in West Virginia called Watoga. I lived there until I was eight years old. When I was eight years old, my dad moved the family to Virginia here in Richmond, where I have been for the remainder of my life, I went to elementary school, high school, nursing school, all right in the city of Richmond. So I have, I'm the mother of five kids, uh, eight grandchildren, and 10 great-grandchildren. Wow. So I've had a busy life and a whole lot of busy kids and grandkids. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you. And Steve Weiss. 
Steve Weiss. That is my name. Um, and before I talk about myself, I want to just, Matt, I, and I told you this over the phone, I want to thank you so much for what you're doing. And uh, I mean, this is an, an absolutely brilliant idea that you've had. And as I told you, I need, think you need to pitch it to some local radio and TV stations. Uh, I really do. I'm serious. I mean, these, you know, and I especially want to thank Jessica, uh, Ashley, and Michaela, and Tim, Tony, Josiah, and Jason for their open, frank, and, uh, you, you know, fresh perspectives for sharing all of the, that information. I thought it was fascinating. And for Jason, by the way, I did see that he had uh, a Boston Red Sox shirt behind him. So I wore my Yankee shirt just to rub <laughs> it in a bit. But uh, sure Jason's going to love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, as Matt said, uh, I grew up in the North. I grew up in the Bronx in New York City. And uh, I grew up in, uh, my family was uh, lower middle income, I guess. And I grew up in the projects in the Bronx. And the entire neighborhood was extremely diverse. I had friends of every nationality, color, religion, you name it. Right. And hopefully as we, we go through these discussions, I'll tell you a little bit more about my background. Um, I'm now married to a, uh, Mrs. Roots, I'm married to an oncology nurse. And uh, we, have a, we have twins, a boy and a girl. And my wife and I have uh, the same birthday, not the same birth year, but the same birthday. So we have four people in our family, but we only buy two cakes. Uh, <laughs> isn't that typical of a Jewish family? <laughs> so, uh, Steve, that, that's priceless. So um, I want to level set a little bit from a historical standpoint. I'm only going to take two minutes, maybe less than that for that. And then I would just love to get you guys' perspectives. Um, overall, personally, so um, part of for those who join, part of the reason why this is important, I mentioned uh, the title of this is you know I was born before Jim Crow. Um, Steve was born uh, about 13 years prior to the end of, before. The, I'm sorry, I was born before the end of Jim Crow. Steve was born about 13 years before uh, the end of Jim Crow, and Mrs. Roots was 31 um, at the end of Jim Crow, and so oh, at the end of the the the, the year that Jim Crow ended. And I think it's critical for us to be able to get those perspectives. One, Mrs. Roots was an adult and she was able to live out a significant part of the civil rights movement uh, prior to the end of Jim Crow and of course post that. Um, and Steve being a teenager, right, in the Northeast and in the North, the perspective on race is a bit different. It may not have been as overt, but it was, it was there, right? Um, and the biases were there. So I'm gonna spend about 30 seconds reading about what Jim Crow is, and then I would love to get Mrs. Roots to start off first um, with just some of her perspective on, on, on her life and what, and, and what, what it's like. Uh, what does she think about the way things are today and how have we progressed as well? So real quick, so Jim Crow laws were a collection of state and local statutes that legalized racial segregation, named after a black minstrel show character. The laws which existed for about 100 years from the post-Civil War era until 1968 were meant to marginalize African-Americans by denying them the right to vote, hold jobs, get an education, or other opportunities. Those who attempted to defy Jim Crow laws often faced arrest, fines, jails, and sentences, jail sentences, violence, and death. Um, that's pretty critical. And guys, just time-wise, this was only 55 years ago, okay? Um, mind-boggling mind um, to even think about that. Um, 
The roots of Jim Crow laws began as early as 1865, immediately after following the ratification of, thir of the 13th Amendment, which abolished slavery in the United States. So we can go into more detail about that and what, what, the, what Jim Crow was um, probably later on in the conversation. But Mrs. Roots, you know, my first question for you is, what was life like for you in the South, right? Like you told everybody coming from, you know, West Virginia and then moving to Virginia uh, at the time you did. And it was actually before World War II. Um, so I would love to hear your perspective on that. Well, um, it was really kind of, it was really an eye opener for me because like I said, I left West Virginia when I was eight years old. And the mere fact that it was such a small town, everybody lived not close together like you do in the city, but the houses were all within walking distance. And of course the town was so small. Everybody knew everybody in the town, white and black. And we lived together as brothers and sisters, you know, playing together. And we only had a one room schoolhouse where I started school. And it was, everybody was taught in that one room, whatever grade you were in, that one teacher taught every grade in that school. And then when my dad moved us from West Virginia to Richmond, I got a rude awakening because things were so much different. Like I said, I had never heard the difference be between black and white. You did this and you didn't do that. And so we had, the street that I lived on, we had street cars running up and down that street. And so by us being from this little country town, we were just anxious to get on the streetcar and have a ride. And so we jumped on the streetcar and sat right on the front seat. And as the streetcar rolled by the house, all the kids were in an uproar. They were just jumping and shouting and hollering, get up, get up, get up. And uh, when we got back from our ride on the streetcar, our question was, what were you all so excited about? And they said, don't you know you weren't supposed to sit on the front seat? Oh, well, like, why the seat was empty? Well, you don't sit on the front seat here. You're supposed to sit on the back seat of the streetcar. So that was my first eye opener as far as Jim Crow or whoever, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> whatever the era was then. And of course, wow. um, of course we didn't, when I went to school, uh, you know, the schools were all segregated. So it was like the neighborhood schools and everybody who lived in that neighborhood went to that particular school. And even when I was out of elementary school and into high school, schools were still segregated. We rode past the white schools and went a mile or two further to go to the school that was designated as school for blacks. And so by 1950, I was already out of school and I did, you know, I didn't have to deal with the, the schools being segregated, but I can tell you what happened when I was in school. We never got any new books in the city of Richmond. All of our books came from the schools that the white kids had used because they still had the name of the schools in them. So we, the books that we had for our curriculum were passed down from the white schools to us to use. So we always had secondhand books and it was just like everything was hand-me-down 
in the in the field of education. Can I and ask when, a question? I'm yeah. sorry, Ms. Bruce. Can I ask a question about that real quick? Mm-hmm. The, the and sorry to cut you off. The the if if the books were handed down, are you aware of? And, and again, if you if you don't know, then that's okay. Um, how far behind may have been the editions of the books from what the information that you had, right? Do you know, like, you, you understand what I'm saying? Like, if you got a hand-me-down, how mm -hmm. do you know that the information is current? Well, <laughs> I don't guess we knew, you know, we, we were just taught from the books that were given to the teachers to teach from. Wow. So what I'm surmising is that if, if this was a sixth grade class, and we got the books from T from John Marshall. That's one of the high schools. Thomas Jefferson was the other high school. And if we got the books from those schools, they had probably been used for four or five years to teach that sixth grade class at that particular school. And wow. then by the time they would begin to wear out, they were just passed on down to us for our sixth grade class. That's what I'm surmising. Wow. Okay. Now I appreciate you answering that question. Uh, that's uh, that just that just came to mind while you were telling your story. I apologize. I apologize for cutting you off, but that was uh, if you, if you wow. think about it, the, the only point, the only thing that would really be behind would be, in fact, the history books because the math, the English, uh, grammar, uh, you know, that's not necessarily dated, or at least I don't believe they're dated in terms of you know mm -hmm. being refreshed dramatically. So the history itself, the history content, may be a little bit behind. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Cool. All right, I'm sorry, Ms. Roots. Do you mind uh, continuing from there with the, with the education onto adulthood? Um, well, I want I started to say uh, it's ironic that um, in high school, mm -hmm. the superintendent, whenever he he was going to visit a school, of course, they always uh, the the school was notified that the superintendent was coming to visit, and it was like we were. We were children, but we didn't need to be treated like kindergartners. So we were kind of like that all the classes were notified that the superintendent was coming to visit the school. So it was expected that you will you should be on your best behavior because he was coming and he was going to be watching you, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And uh <laughs> when I think about it now, it's it's really it's, it's, it's hurting, and then it's kind of funny in a sense, like you've, always, you've already been taught by your parents how you're supposed to act, no matter whether school or any place else, but just because the superintendent was coming and you knew he was white and he was going to expect the best out of you. And these are some of the things that just stick in your crawl even after all of these years. Wow, so you still, you still remember it, you still feel I it. I do, I do. Wow, 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 wow. So actually, you know what, maybe this is a good pause point and then we can continue back. Steve, if you don't mind giving us a little bit of your history sure. and then we can come back around. Sure, as I mentioned before, uh, I grew up uh, in a, a lower middle income uh, projects in the Bronx and because it was lower income, uh, we had people from all, all nationalities, all religions uh, black, white, uh, Puerto Rican, uh, Chinese, Indian, uh, all religions, and I happen to be Jewish. Um, but when I made friends, I made friends because 
there were people that I became friendly with and within the neighborhood. Same thing in school. The schools were already integrated because they, 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 they never had the segregation up there. So even in school, my friends, my best friend in school was Philip Harris, who happened to be a, a black young man. My best friend from kindergarten through sixth grade. Uh, in the projects, my best friend was Manuel Feliciano and Alan Hicks. Manuel was Puerto Rican, Alan Hicks happened to be black. But we had a crowd of, uh, you know, 15, 20 kids every day after school when weather permit, we go down to the parking lot and we play stickball or punch ball or slap ball. And, you know, it was one happy family. I grew, I, from birth until I think I was about 14, I lived in that neighborhood. I had, a, I had a friend because he, he, he became a friend, not because of what he looked like or what his family background was or what his beliefs were. Uh, my family, as I said, was, was a, a conservative Jewish family, which meant the following, that we had two sets of dishes and two <laughs> sets of silverware. One set of dishes and silverware were for meat products. So if my mom was making lamb chops or steak or hamburgers or spaghetti and meatballs, we used the meat plates and the meat silverware. And if she was making eggs or something that was of a dairy nature or fish, we use the dairy plates and the dairy silverware, but you don't mix the two. You, 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 know, we, we, you couldn't use the dairy for the meat and you couldn't use the meat for the dairy. And I didn't understand that, but my parents sent me to Hebrew school, just like in, uh, in public school, the kids would get out on Tuesdays early to go to what they called religious instruction, which they would go to church and, and have uh, religious classes. So my parents sent me to Hebrew school because we were Jewish. And I said, oh, well, that's, I guess that's what we're supposed to do. Um, <clears throat> and in the Jewish religion, when a, a boy turns 13, he has a special ceremony. It's called a bar mitzvah. And the and so there's a religious ceremony in the synagogue, and you have to there's a you actually lead the service because it was a I'm my family was conservative, I actually had to leave lead the service in front of the entire congregation in the Hebrew language, by the way, not of English, not a word of English was wow. spoken. So the seven years that I went to Hebrew school in preparation for my bar mitzvah uh, mm. prepared me for that. And then after that Saturday ceremony, when you turn 13 then typically the families have the equivalent of what a wedding ceremony and a big reception and you have friends and family and a band and you get all these nice gifts as a 13 year old, which I'm not sure that my parents turned them all over, but uh, <laughs> story for another day. Um, but when, when my parents said, okay, we're going to have, uh, you know, you can have X number of people and Steve, you're entitled to, because the, the, the bar mitzvah boy had a dais just like a wedding party has a dais with the, uh, bridegrooms and the uh, maids of honor. So I was allowed to have a dais and they said, who would you like up on the dais? That was easy. I wanted Manuel Feliciano. I wanted uh, uh, Alan Hicks and I wanted Philip Harris. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I mentioned those three names, I saw some hesitation in my mother and father's faces, you know, and they said, we'll have to talk it over. And I said, well, you told me I'm entitled to 10, five on each side. I've given you three names and, you know, we could have cousins and relatives on uh, to fill up the rest. And they said, well, Manuel is Puerto Rican and uh, Philip and Alan are black. I have to talk to your dad about that. Uh, so after long discussion and trust me, I could not figure it out. 
I could not, because I, you know, I was only 13. So, you know, it's not like I read the newspaper or, or watch the news every day and understand what this is all about. These were my friends. These, to me, it was my, my, my family. It was my friend. My friends were my family. Finally, you were going to say something? I, I have one, but go ahead with the thought. Cause it, it, so it, finally, it, finally, they did acquiesce. And I was allowed to bring my friends into the uh, onto the dais, and uh, we had a great time. They they took video. Well, in those days it was uh, sixteen mil or eight, eight millimeter, I think. And, uh, you know, <laughs> you didn't have the nice... iPhone. You didn't have the iPhone ten back there. Uh, I'm, an, I'm an Android guy. Guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so and so they took they took uh, film and they took uh, we had a professional photographer. They took and we make a nice album like you make a wedding album, and I was very proud of that. But. I couldn't understand why my parents were a bit hesitant to have them there. And I know now I know, I mean, I figured it out years later is they were afraid of what the rest of the real family was going to think. And I could care less what the rest of the real family could think. So do you, out of curiosity and and just to kind of, this it's, it's wild to even hear what you just said, especially going back to, you know, you grew up, not conscious of all of the racial differences or any of any form of racism or biases, but then the moment you made a decision that was basically to solidify a very important part of your life, which is your bar mitzvah, then it became a problem. Yep. And and as we'll go on with the conversation tonight, you'll find out that that's not only the only, that's not all, the only rebellious thing. <laughs> right, that right. Happens. So let me, so now this is, you know, based on what you guys shared, right? So, like, I, my my brain, I don't know. I don't know if anyone's making it, have any questions. I see some comments. Um, my mind's going to so many different ways, right? Uh, and so, both of you almost kind of, your story's almost, the way you just told it, almost around the same age, like before 20 years old, you know, around that time. Um, I want to bring up the 60s a bit. Um, uh, actually, before we get there, before we get there, Mrs. Roots. Yeah. Um, as a young adult entering in, and I forgot this part, as a young adult entering into the workforce, I guess, or what that looked like, um, for you, that would be in 1952 is when you started. You know, I mean, so 1952 is when you became, a, you know, you're probably 18 years old. Um, you could say an adult, or, you know, or whatever, right? So you're talking about the mid-50s. Um, what was that like, you know, for you, um, if you have any insight on that? Well, I didn't go in the workforce until uh, the 60s. Okay. Um, but when I finished nursing school, they told us that we were going to be hired on P3 status, which meant uh, we were being hired on preferred status because there was such a shortage of nurses. And so we worked, we went to work, and we kept getting this paycheck and they were paying us 50 cents an hour. And uh, I kept saying, well, I thought they said we were gonna be hired on P3 status. So I kept waiting and waiting, waiting for P3 to come through. So I finally went to the office and said, um, we were told that we were gonna be hired on P3 status. So the lady who worked in the office, she actually just passed out the checks. I don't think she had anything to do with anything else. And she said, well, if you don't ask for it, you don't get it. I said, well, I'm here asking and I expect to get it. <laughs> my next paycheck, I had my P3 status. Hey, that hey. taught me right then and there. If there you you don't, know, nobody looks out for number one, but number one. If you don't ask for what you want, then you're just probably not going to get anything. 
Right. And the uh, it was such a um, we got we we were the, the the staff was integrated and we got along very well except that uh, we had some incidents that happened with one of the the nurses on the eleven to seven shift. That was her permanent shift. I didn't work that shift all the time. I rotated. But she was as mean as she could be, and I worked on pediatrics. And we had a lot of kids who had um, uh, their tonsils removed. And I don't know if as a child you had your tonsils taken out, but you know what the doctors would always promise you that after you had your tonsils, all your ice cream you can eat. Ice cream you could eat. (laughs) And uh, I don't know if they knew how painful it was to try to eat ice cream after you had your tonsils out. But anyway. And they had, uh, on the night shift, they always told you to make sure that the children drank a lot during that that shift so they could go home the next morning. Well, when she would go around and make her rounds at night, she was so hateful and so mean to those kids. And I actually reported her. But a time passed. They didn't do anything about it. And one night, I guess, uh, some of the parents used to stay over and I don't guess she knew that this parent was in the room while she was being mean to some reported her and it went from there to the office and she got reprimanded and she got fired but when it came when it, when the, when the word got to us we were all called in and to, all the blacks now we all called in and told She's being fired for her activity, but we don't want to hear this another time. If we hear it again, all of you will be fired. Mm. Well, if it had been somebody black, the word would have got to the top before the sun rose. Wow. But because she was white, that word was not supposed to go any further than that floor. So these are the kinds of things that happen in the workforce during those times too. So, they were off limits to everybody else. So quick question. So um, what, what you said is the 60s, Ron, what year was this specifically? Do you remember? Like was this early 60s, mid 60s? This was, this was probably around 69, might've been a little bit later, but probably around that time. Okay, okay, wow. I, I think what's, what's interesting is so f- take me for example, right? I'm 39 years old as of last week. Our birthdays are close. Um, so I was June, I'm June 17th, um, fellow, fellow June baby. Um, and we hear some of this today, right? Oh, you know, well, uh, you know, the, the white person got away with something that, you know, I wouldn't have never gotten away from. Right. Um, you know, I, I would venture to say it may not always be true, but I think it's true enough and there are instances enough. And I personally have instances that it's occurred in, to, in my life where I'm like, man, I know, I know if I did that, that would not have flown. Mm-hmm. I entered the workforce in 2000, official workforce as an adult in 2002 um, at 21 years old. That's a full, you said 1969-ish time frame. So if I'm going to do my math real quick, that's a full 30 two-year gap 33 33, yeah 33-year gap um and the story is similar i mean i think that's 
it's interesting, right? And I think it's something that we need to be able to highlight about not saying, and, and, and this isn't to say it's just as bad as it was yesterday. I'm not saying that. However, it's interesting to hear that story from you from that so long ago. Mm-hmm. And then I have a similar story or I can have a similar story. So I want to bridge to Steve real quick. Steve, so. Can um, I say something before you oh, go? Oh, of course, of course, please. Um, I wanted to, to just to mention that the uh, Henrico County here, uh, Steve knows about Henrico County. Uh, they, they, I always say they are two Henrico counties. There's Henrico County in the east, which right. is predominantly black or mostly black. And then there's Henrico County in the west. Sure, Now, Henrico County in the east actually sued the school board because of the treatment of the black kids in the school in Henrico County. And it's, it was so blatant. And most of the kids who, who go to, to, to schools here in Richmond, they all know that. If, uh, if there is, uh, I had four children and I think one, one, grand, one grandchild who went to school in Henrico County. If you, they have, um, a confrontation in school between a black and a white. The black kid gets sent home for three weeks. The white kid gets sent home with a note. And these kind of things went on and it was so blatant. That's why they had that suit bought against them. And it actually went through the, through the federal court system. So, you know, as much as we think that, that times are changing, they're not that much changed. And I was telling my daughter the other day, I don't know why we're still spending all this money on busing kids across town to school and all they do is bus them from one black school to another black school. I have a school that's right there a block and a half from me. And that school has, they bus, they bus kids from three separate housing projects. And they probably have about 1,700 kids in that school. And I bet you out of that 1,700, it's hardly 17 kids in that school. But yet they call it integration, and we're busting for integration. There's no integration here in, in Richmond. Wow. Wow. I appreciate you sharing that. I think um, what's amazing is that it was not that long ago. I, the older I get, the younger I feel like I am. Um, and I'm like, and that was not that long ago. And even here, the difference is like when you, I lived in Richmond for a short period of time. Um, and I lived on the Chesterfield side, right? So uh, I say the Chesterfield side, but it, you got to live in Richmond, y'all, to get it. So I'm just saying, I was on South Side. So I was in, I was in yeah, Chesterfield. Yeah, I'm on, I was just going to say, I'm on the South Side too. And people look down on that. <laughs> they do. Um, but I, you know, I'm not, I, I, to hear there's two different Henricos, it's funny, when I first moved to Richmond, I heard something like that before, and I moved in 98. Um, and, but I never heard it from this perspective, the way you just, you know, with, with the school system and the lawsuit, that's amazing. Um, just to kind of flip a little bit to Steve, um, you know, after your bar mitzvah, I know just going into adulthood, some of the things you share with me on the side and our passing by conversations, like what, what about you, you know, going into the 60s, into, into adulthood, what was that like? Well, so uh, my sister, uh, as I mentioned, is a, uh, well, I didn't mention, I mentioned my wife, but my sister is also a nurse. And my sister went to a community college because, again, we, we weren't, 
you know, we weren't, we didn't have a lot of money. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, when, after I put my kids now through school, undergrad and graduate school, and I see all the opportunities that, that kids have these days, you know, in a middle income family, we didn't have that. And the only way that I was able to go to college after I graduated high school in 1970, the only way I was able to go to college is that the City University of New York developed a program called Open Enrollment. So if you lived anywhere in New York City, you can go to a college within the New York City school system. So Brooklyn had Brooklyn College, Queens had Queens College, and that's where I went because at that, at, at that point we were living in, uh, in Queens. So I only had the opportunity to go to college because it was open enrollment. We, my parents didn't have enough money to take out loans or to send me to a, a better college, so, so to speak. So I went to uh, the uh, City University School and you know I, I, was, I guess I was pushed there because that was my only option. So after two years, you know, at the age of, what, what was I at that point, 16, 17, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And I ended up leaving school and, you know, continuing to take my part-time job to a full-time job. And I finished my degree, my undergrad degree, when I was 40 years old, 40 years old in uh, 1992. So, yes. so you know, I, I, were, I, I went from uh, elementary school, which was diverse, junior high school, which here they call middle school, which was diverse, then I went to a diverse high school. And again, you know, either I was the most ignorant person in the world uh, <laughs> or, or I didn't know anything about, you know, the, 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 the race relations that other people had. In other words, I didn't know that I can't, that, that it wasn't common for people to have friends and very good friends, very close friends uh, of different denominations. That was, I was brought up that way that these were the people around me and either people were good or they were bad. If they were good, it didn't matter what they looked like, uh, what their backgrounds were, you became friendly with them. Um, and, you know, I, um, so when I was uh, 21, this is the story I was telling you the other day, when I was 21, uh, I went to a concert and I met a girl and she happened to work in the same uh, store that I was working in at the time and we ended up dating. And then we got serious and, uh, you know, we decided to get engaged. And I told my parents who knew her, she, he, my parents knew we were dating. And I said, uh, uh, I, mean, I think we're going to get engaged. The problem, you know, the problem I had when I was 13, I had when I was uh, 21, 23. <laughs> the girl was a, a Catholic Italian. And we're talking about the early to mid 70s. And forget about uh, uh, inter, inter race marriages, interfaith. If you had an interfaith marriage, oh my God, you know, you were going to be excommunicated. And you marry in a Catholic does sound like yes. Yeah, and and kicked out of the family. And my parents said, how could you do this? And I said, what do you, what, what do you mean? How can I do it? Well, she's not Jewish. Mom, I didn't open her blouse to see if she had a Jewish star on her chest and then recognize she had a star. I, I said it was a relationship that developed and she and so she, my parents said to me well if you, are you planning on having kids I said well first let me plan the marriage but yeah I would like to have a family and they said well how are you going to raise the children I said well I'm going to raise them to be good children and, and grow up to be good adults and and do the right thing all the time and they said well what about Jewish or Catholic and I said well you know if it, you know, I'm, I'll be the first to say I'm not an extremely religious person, even though I was brought up in a, in a conservative 
uh, Jewish environment. And the reason for that is, as the to story I told you before about the two sets of dishes, <laughs> in the Jewish religion, you're not allowed to eat pork because of the way the pigs are slaughtered. It's considered unkosher. It's not kosher food. So you can't eat pork. You're not supposed to. But if you do bring it into the house, when you have two sets of dishes and silverware, if you bring anything that's not kosher into the house, you eat it on paper plates so that you're not, you're not breaking the rule of which plate should I use or what. So, you know, as I grew up and I'm thinking about this and I said, you know, you, you've heard the phrase, you can't be half pregnant. You either are or you aren't. Yeah. So, you know, I'm saying to myself, well, hang on a second. We have to follow the rules if we're going to be conservative, but if we want to break the rule, we can go do this. And, uh, you know, you can't be half pregnant. So that's, yeah, no. that's, that's the point that I decided, you know, how important is religion in my life? And, you know, it's, it's a faith, it's a belief. Uh, you know, I, I hate to make this analogy, but I, I guess I will now that I let the cat out of it. It's like Democrat or Republican. It's a belief. It's a belief. You know, you can't tell me a, Demo two Demo a Democrat and a Republican can't marry one another. I'm sure it creates a lot of issues at the dinner table. But, uh, you know, but, but, you know, religion, if my wife wanted to continue following Catholicism and I wanted to continue following Judaism, which I wasn't doing anyway, because as I started to think about the hypocrisy of how my family brought us up. Right. So we ended up getting married and to satisfy my, my family and to satisfy her family, we had both a priest and a rabbi do the ceremony. Wow. So that was, that was to make everybody happy. I, you know, I, I mean, oh, and, and the kicker of all of this, Mrs. Roots, you'll, you'll enjoy this. The kicker of all this is, uh, so as I said, in those days, uh, you know, a, a, a man or a woman who were going to announce that they're going to do an interfaith marriage, their families typically disowned them. My family didn't disown us, but they weren't happy. They weren't happy at all. Uh, but three weeks before uh, I was going to get married, my cousin, who was going to school to be a psychiatrist, so he was very well educated from a, from a formal education perspective, he announced to the family that he was going to marry a black girl. So I was the greatest thing since sliced bread. At least mine was white. It's wild, you know, man. You know, and, 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 you know, again, I couldn't, he ended up not marrying her because her family uh, and, and I guess his parents also, just like my parents didn't approve, but her family and his apparently didn't either. Um, but at least for a few weeks and a few months, like I said, I was the greatest thing since sliced bread. So I, I want to comment on that. So like, and then Mrs. Roots, I mean, that probably hit you definitely because you, you lived it. You saw what he's talking about from the black perspective, right? Like, what I find is two things, Steve, in your story. Before I touch the um, the uh, the potential black wife, um, the just the religion aspect, right, and the Italian aspect, like those two things, right. And be, you know, it's amazing to see how um, the dynamics between um, I don't want to say I don't want to say uh, dynamics is strong word. The differences, the biases, and the biases drive the differences, or the differences drive the biases, right? And then people make decisions on it, right? And I thought it was interesting that the times, every time you bring up a, a significant thing, right? Like now it's engagement. It's cool to hang with them until you do something that stamps them in place. Yeah, they didn't right? think it was gonna last because they thought, they thought that we were gonna figure it out that, you know what, this is not common and this can't have a good ending. But we fooled, well, it didn't have a good ending, unfortunately, <laughs> but not for those reasons. 
not right. for those now, reasons. We were only married for, I think, maybe three years, um, but it had nothing to do with uh, religion or uh, anything of that nature. But I'll tell you what, they make some pretty darn good meatballs. <laughs> hey, did you, use a, did you use a different plate for the meatballs? Listen, once I moved out of my house, it was one set of dishes and one set of silverware. That's it. That's it. And, so, and, and, well, look, I had the best of both worlds. I got to celebrate Christmas and Hanukkah. <laughs> I know you love that. So the, the, the black wife, and this, Ms. Roots, I'm going to lead this into you um, real quick because I want to touch on something. What I found is interesting is that there were levels, there are levels to, your, to the biasness, right? So you, you were engaged to an Italian who was a Catholic, and it was your brother, you said, right? My cousin. Your cousin brought home a black woman, and all of a sudden, you were pushed like she. He was. He made the worst mistake. So like it, you didn't. It it it's almost so. What I think is interesting is that um, people see color. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, we know and that. I think it's important when people say I don't see color, mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, once they like let's let's look. You're Jewish. And most Jewish, at least from what I've heard and learned, you know, they don't want to necessarily be called white, but you're Jewish. And if you came here, you're going to be in the white category just based on the way you look, right? Mm. Unless you really know what that, like, that, that person's Italian, like they open up their mouth, they say something, or you can look at features, they're going to look white. You bring a black girl home, it's pretty straightforward, right? Um, and so I just, I find it unfortunate, but it's amazing that there's levels to this biasness, which I'm just going to call it what it is. It's levels of racism, right? It's almost like basically saying, like you said, beliefs, right? It, you can believe what I believe. And if you look like me, you're cool. If you don't look like me, you may believe what I believe, but we're not in the same page. I, I don't know. It's just interesting. Yeah. So Mrs. Roots. Yeah. So, so the, 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 I'm sorry. Oh, by the way, when you, were, uh, when you did your uh, panel with Jason the other day, you mentioned that it's assumed that most Jews are rich. I got to tell you something. I don't fit that mold. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, but the, here's the kicker of the story. And I think, uh, from my perspective, uh, it, it had a, ha even though the marriage didn't last long, but the, the story is a happy ending because my dad passed away and my mom had been working in uh, Montefiore Hospital in the Bronx. And uh, she met the, uh, I'm sorry, at that point she we were in Queens. So she was working in Elmhurst Hospital and she met a x-ray te technician and she was dating him for a few months. And when I got divorced, I had my own apartment. And every couple of weeks, my mom would invite me over for dinner. And I'd go to dinner or I'd take her out to dinner. Uh, so one day she calls me and says, can you come over for dinner tonight? I said, sure. So I went over. I had sat down with her and was sitting at the table. And she's sitting opposite me. And she, I could see, you know, she looked sad. So she, I said, what, is there anything wrong? She said, well, I have something to tell you. And I said, uh, what is it? She said, uh, well, you know, your dad passed away a couple of years ago and I've been uh, seeing this guy that I'm working with in the hospital. He's, uh, he's, he runs the x-ray department. I said, oh, that's great. Uh, what, what, what's he like? Is he good to you? And she, I could see tears running down her face. So I said, mom, is he not good to you? Is there something wrong that I need to know? And she, no, he's very good to me. And I said, well, what's the problem? She said, he's black. And I said, but what's the problem? And she just started, when I asked her, what's the problem after that? She just started bawling. I said, mom, is he, did he hurt you in any way? She said, no. I said, why use hysterical? She said, because I, dad and I gave you such a difficult time when you brought my first wife home. Her name was Donna. When you brought Donna home 
and we gave you such a difficult time about that. And I said, mom, look, I understand where you were coming from, but what you just told me and the way you feel now, don't you, doesn't it make you feel that maybe I was right, that maybe somebody's look, somebody's religion is not necessarily, uh, is not at all more important than who they are as individuals. And, you know, then over the next three or four or five years, you know, I, I met this gentleman. He's a great guy. In fact, if I was telling Matt the other day, if I close my eyes and listen to Ben Carson, Ben Carson sounds just like my mom's boyfriend. His name was Alvin Adams. And he has a very soft voice, very soft-spoken, but what a gentleman he was. And they traveled all around the world. He would stay over my mom's house. She would stay, stay at his house. I can't tell you how many times uh, she, he asked her to marry him. And she said no for two reasons. And, and I believe the two reasons that she gave me. She said, number one, your father would be rolling over in his grave. And I said, well, let him roll over and keep digging. But <laughs> more importantly, no, they, they, because at this point, they were in their early 70s. And mom, mom said, I really don't want to bury another man. Oh, you know? wow. So, so they traveled the world together. He took her to places, unbelievable. Uh, and as I said, they stayed over each other's houses when, when necessary. But now is the bad part of the story. And I did mention this to you once before, Matt. So whenever we had family functions, uh, Thanksgiving or a Hanukkah dinner or a barbecue and members of my family would have it at their homes, they would invite my mother. They didn't want Al to come. Oh, gee. Hmm. They didn't want Al to come. And so my mom never went. My mom never went. And go ahead. What year was this? That was in uh, 70, I got divorced in 75. That was, my dad passed in 79. So that was the early 80s. That's that was early 80s. That's, that's critical. But go ahead, I'm sorry. And then I want to bridge to Mrs. Yeah. Roots in a second. So go ahead. we only had one relative that had his own home. Everybody else lived in apartments th throughout the city. So the one guy that had a home, whenever we had a big event at his house, Al wasn't invited. And, and this uncle had uh, two daughters and a son. Turns out one daughter ended up uh, marrying a Puerto Rican and one daughter uh, turned out to be gay. So, you know, they thought they had the perfect lifestyle and they thought wow. that everybody was going to grow up and believe the way they believed. And unfortunately, uh, well, I say unfortunately, Mike, I, I could care less how they grew up as long as they were happy. But it just goes to show that people from, 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 my, from that side of the, from that generation, from from backgrounds like my family had, it's all messed up. Wow. It's all messed up. And and I feel, you know, I, I've said over and over, I feel very fortunate that I grew up in the projects so that I didn't see any of that. And I judge people today, not by what they look like or how they speak, but whether or not they're good people. That's right? good, man. I really appreciate that. So I want to bridge over to Miss Roots. Um, so I know when you had, um, we were talking about the workforce, how is it transitioning out yeah, as you got older? I mean, I know you had some pieces of information around that as well. So after some of the, the issues that were happening with you as a nurse and what you were involved in, you know, uh, what was that like? And that was in the late 60s, correct? Late 60s, early 70s? Yeah, well, you know, things, we were, the, it was just such an amicable bunch of people that we, we got along very well on the job and we socialized together 
uh, and we would go, but you know, and I've always found this, this a little bit different too. Uh, it's something about white people that they just, they, I, I think they just don't get it. And we used to socialize and we, we played, we, we used to love to play games and every Christmas we'd have a Christmas party, everybody would go and we were just one big happy group. And if we played, uh, like we would have Polkina night and everybody would, would, would go to everybody's house, the whites would always come to the black people's house, but they, they never invited us to their houses. So I always thought that, well, wow, we always the one that's, that's trying to be the, 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 the friend, if you yeah. know what I mean. And I think one thing, and, and people say they're not racist and they don't understand, they don't believe when we talk about the way we are treated. But I have, and I guess that's why I'm a little bit defiant and I guess sometimes it seems like I carry a chip on my shoulder mm. because I don't believe in letting people walk over you. And so I'm tell you, I had, uh, I've had a lot of these experiences. I've been going into uh, like a department store and a white man opens the door and goes in and he looks back and sees me and he just almost slams the door in my face instead of holding the door open and letting me come in. And uh, I was in uh, Cracker Barrel one day, standing in line, waiting to pay my ticket because I had finished eating. This woman walked up in front of me. Just, I mean, just walked right in front of me like I wasn't there. And I said, excuse me. She looked at me. She said, excuse me. I said, yes. Don't you see me standing here? Oh, you're in line. I said, why do you think I'm here? And you know, it's just things like that. Like, like she couldn't see me. I was invisible. I didn't count. I wasn't even human. Like I was a ghost. You know, those kind of things that that make you, you know. I, say, I have a I have a real head scratcher also, uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna read this because it's something that somebody brought to my attention last week, and this uh, this is about an Ohio lawmaker who uh, also happens to be a physician by degree, a, a doctor by degree. So you would think that he's, he's school educated, but education doesn't always mean school education. Um, and so I'm, I'm going to, and it's, when I heard this, I just, I just could not believe it. And it actually, uh, this statement that I'm about to read, he made this between Mr. Floyd's uh, murder and Mr. Brooks killing. So it happened between, right in between those two. I'm going to read this from the New York Times. An Ohio lawmaker was fired from his job as a physician. He was fired from the, his physician position, but he was still a senator. He was fired, from his, uh, was fired from his job as a physician on Thursday after asking at a hearing this week if the high, high rate of coronavirus cases among African Americans was because, and I'm quoting what he asked, the question, I'm quoting exactly his word, was it because the colored population did not wash their hands as well as other groups? And this was three weeks ago. And when my friend yeah. brought this to my, this is a guy who was an Ohio senator. He's, he's an Ohio senator who was also by education. He was a doctor. And I'm saying to myself, this is 2020. When do people say things like this for God's sake? Or even think things, forget about saying it. When, why do they, how could they even think these things? I saw that on TV. I don't know if it was uh, CNN or MSNBC, but 
but I actually saw that. And his I name, I'm going to... The, um, the one where the woman walking her dog in Central Park and the bird watch. Yep, the bird watch, yep. On the lease and she's like, oh, I'm going to call the police and tell them that this black man is threatening me and harassing me. And the, the key word, black man, she knew those two words were going to get the police there. But yep. I guess they didn't come... It's in a timely manner because by the time they they the policeman got there, the black man had gone and she had too. So yeah, she got fired from her job too, which she should have been. Yep, and she was also <laughs> again school educated, but that, that school education has nothing to do with social education. Has right. absolutely nothing to do with it. Yeah. So let me ask you this, and that's that's huge. I mean, you know, Mrs. Roots, let me ask you this question, and Steve, you can comment after she answers as well. You know, when you well, two, it's a two-part question. The first part is, like you mentioned, um, the Cracker Barrel. When, did you say when that was, the Cracker Barrel situation? Do you remember? Oh, it's not like it was 10 years ago. It hadn't been that long ago. But, I mean, it didn't matter whether it was Cracker Barrel or anywhere else. That white woman just, like, I was invisible. Like, she didn't care that I was standing there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, it, uh, go ahead. Know, I don't understand. I just don't understand people. I really don't. Do you feel like when you see, when you see what's going on today, right? And then you compare it to what's happened yesterday, right? When I say yesterday, 40, 50 years ago, for you, Mrs. Roots, mm -hmm. what's the difference for you? Like from your perspective, what's the difference? Have we, have we improved? You know what? I actually, looking back at what I'm seeing now, we've gone back, if, if not the 60s, we've gone all the way back to the 50s almost. That's just how bad things are. And I comment all the time, the only reason why all of this is coming to the forefront now is because everybody has a phone and everybody has a camera and all this stuff that's just been hidden or not seen is actually coming up. But people, ha people haven't changed. I have a friend who lives in Midlothian. They're, they're a black couple. Her husband started to lose in the pigmentation in his skin after he got in his 40s or something like that. And they live in this community. There's very few blacks in that, in, in Midlothian, where they live. And it was this white girl that she, she walked, you know, like some people walk a couple of miles in the morning or evening, whatever. She walked and he walked too for exercise. And they walked together and talked together for a long time until I don't know who, how she found out that he was black. But the minute she found out he was black, she stopped walking. And if she walked, she didn't walk with him. And that's just, this, you know, it's, and it's just sad that because I have a dark skin and you're white or whatever, you know, you, you, you they, don't, they don't see you. Yeah. They don't don't want to have anything to do with you just because of the color of your skin. And I said, it's so sad and unless you can, you know, you can put all kind of laws and into effect and this is unlawful and that is unlawful. But you got those same people who hated you 30 years ago. They still hate you and they don't know any reason why they hate you except that the color of your skin.
Wow. Talk about an amazing conversation. Uh, These two really have shared a lot about who they are and a lot about their experiences. And I hope you guys enjoyed this first part of the conversation. Uh, Feel free to move on to the next episode or, hey, uh, take a break and then come on back to listen to these two very dynamic individuals. Thanks.